I had a guy tell me that after he's, he was in his 60s, he said that he, he realized that he thought he was gay his whole life. And he realized as a 60-something-year-old that all he was looking for was a friend. But the world had told him that he was gay, right? So, I mean, this, this is so far-reaching, this topic, right? And to me, it makes no, it's, it's no shock to me why uh, there's like an explosive and an explosion in the amount of kids who are embracing LGBTQ identity and mindset um, and also an, ex- an explosive, uh, an anti-explosive decrease in true friendships. Welcome once again to Catholic Parenting 101. I am Mariana Katie, your host. And today our episode is going to feature a wonderful speaker. He has an incredible story, a great message. And um, his name is Hudson Biblo. And um, I want to welcome him to the podcast. And I don't know, Hudson, say a few words of greetings and tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Sounds good. It's good to see you again, Mar- Mariana. And uh, just I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I guess I I do some speaking on these types of topics and I'm just trying to go where God leads on these things. So I'll uh, glory be to him. Great, right. great. So can you give a little bit of a uh, kind of an abbreviated version of your story? I know there's like an hour long talk that you usually give on your story, but can you give like the, the little mini version of your conversion story? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try my best. Okay. okay. Uh, short, short story. Um, had all sorts of questions growing up. Didn't know if I like, wondered about, should I be a girl? Uh, then there were same-sex attractions. And then there was crazy amounts of escapism and not liking myself or not having much for self-control. And of course, pornography got thrown in there at age nine exposure but just basically from something on the, on mainstream television by the way that was enough to tr- trigger me to go crazy um and i hit it and i just shame shame just totally encapsulated me and i just went down these crazy roads of darkness and then had is like an, an amazing series of small things <laughs> an amazing series of small things that god used to to wake me up and open me up to a better way than the darkness that I was living in. And I, it was a darkness. And um, in that I came to, in that I came to, first of all, understand that uh, I was loved and I was lovable because I believed I, I wasn't loved or lovable. I mean, you know, I, I was going down those roads of, of self-hatred and stuff like that. Um, and uh, that I was lovable and that God had love for me and I could love again in this world and I could, and the primary way of that was actually to give the gift of sexuality to the Lord and just be open to what he could do uh, with that. And, and of course, in that is pursuing the virtue of chastity and realizing that that wasn't just a, that's not a bad thing. That's an amazing thing. It's just, it's been actually the most, um, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever encountered. Of course, before back in the day, I didn't understand it. So I thought it just meant celibacy and which, which is there related but they're not the same thing and so yeah so just living walking in the freedom of freedom of pursuing chastity over the last oh gosh well like over 10 years now and um i'm never looking back you know and just walked away from the lgbtq mindset myself after embracing that for a while too um self-identifying as gay and then trans uh, over the course of many years um so yeah like a new creation in christ because god is awesome how's that that's great that's awesome Yeah. Praise God for that. That's such a great, I I love hearing your story and um, the CDs for those of you who don't know, Hudson has like a lighthouse CD and I have a stack of them that I hand out to people if they have questions on that. I'm like, this is the best story that you will hear on this all, all day long. Um, So yeah, it's, um, it's really incredible because you talk about being exposed to pornography from a very young age, so nine, nine years old. And I think I read somewhere that it was like, as early as like six or seven are is like very common for kids to get exposed to that. And I think that's just really important for parents to know, especially for this audience as parents who are like 12 years old and younger are their kids. Um, and so what, what can you say to parents about protecting against that? Or if they can't protect against that, if they find that their child has been exposed to these things, um, what, how do they respond to it? How do they, how do they walk with that child? 
Mm. Uh, for, first thing I guess I'll address is the expectations. Uh, I think um, there's a, I've encountered lots of parents who are like, oh, no, no, that's not my kid. It would never happen to my kid. He's too young. He hangs around good kids. Um, that, that's a good school that he goes to. And it's like, look, it only takes one <clears throat> one kid who's like got his phone, grade three or four, to run around at a recess back when we had recess before COVID. Okay. But <laughs> but just, just takes one kid to run around the playground showing – all these other kids, what he's got on his phone. Like, that's it. One, one kid. And the kids, there's, you're hearing about kids. I heard about a kid who was seven years old who had a smartphone. So I, I don't know how young they're getting these things, but even if your kid doesn't have that, someone else has it. Plus the stuff that they're showing on television at the basically after school hours, never, never mind those specialty streaming channels, that stuff uh, can contain a lot of stuff that, especially in the ads in between and stuff. Um, those those can be triggering plus plus on youtube and things like that so you know your kids kids watching like a gaming channel and stuff and then there's like ad pops up that your kid hasn't noticed for four years and then suddenly one day boom he's like understands he or she like awakens to the mystery of the human body let's say you know so the point is that it's happening, sadly happening, while parents think it's not happening. And so I've, I've seen this happen, or I've seen this kind of roll out a few ways, is that the kids who haven't been, they haven't had conversations, appropriate conversations about what, what holiness is, what it means for a person to be seen as a person, um, kids who haven't had any conversations like that with their parents to break the ice, uh, they typically seem to just hide it. They saw something and they're like, oh my gosh, I've never encountered this before. I know it's bad because you know that it's just not what people do. And then instead of going to their parents saying, hey, guess I saw this thing, what's going on? Um, they'll just hide it and then go back to it and look at it again and trying to make sense of themselves because they might be trying to make sense of why am I want to look at this? It was such an exhilarating rush and, and never mind looking at it. It's, it. They look at it every time they recall the memory, you know? And so I've heard, I heard one other case. So or another, like the other angle is what I'm saying, not a case, but another angle is, is when kids do have, they have been talked to about what, what holiness is and this is what this is how we're supposed to see the fullness of the person you know and you never just look at a person's body parts and and we see a personality and they have a name and i bet they're somebody's sister or their daughter or their cousin or their son and you build a person and this is sort of the idea it's like when when kids have the person in mind um, there's a greater chance it would seem to reason that they would recognize that a pornography pornographic picture of, of sorts is obviously not about a person, you know, and that there's something wrong with that. And if that communication door has been open be, because a parent had had a, you know, like a intentional strategic, but yet age appropriate conversation about, about how we look at people, then that kid would feel less ashamed to go talk to uh, their mom or dad about this. And then, and that could lead to, um, a conversation uh, about, you know, how we need to continue to look at the fullness of the person um, out of love, out of love. And then also to understand the, like, the, the beauty of, you know, God, God made humans to be beautiful and everything. And then we, it's, it's, we, we want to look at beautiful things, but there, there are sometimes beauty gets, uh, the, it gets presented in a way that is distorted where it takes away from the beauty and it uses people and and nobody nobody wants to be used. And if you if, if once a kid's old enough to have a conversation about how he felt used by his friends or this and that, they know they don't want to be used, so they wouldn't want to do use use someone else, right? But a conversation. The point is that conversation needs to be there, as opposed to nothing, you know. Absolutely, and I think a good a good uh, kind of laying the foundation is talking about friendship and what it means to be a real friend. And um, it can save them a lot of confusion later on and, you know, even the dating world and all of that and saying, you know, a good friend is not going to use you or betray you or, you know, be a, speak harshly to you in, on a regular basis, like all of these things. Um, yeah, really establishing that basis of what friendship is and what it looks like and how we treat people. And that's really, I mean, 
talking about age appropriate, that's really where you can start. That's your entry point. It, it's actually a huge entry point and, and like, and also in their friendship list is like a real friend isn't trying to steal power from you, like in a, in a way that makes you small. But the thing is like, because our, our perceptions and children's perceptions of each other and the world are becoming radically distorted by the exposure to pornography and what they're seeing, they're carrying that into their relationships, which I mean, I just mean like, like friend relationships um, but they're carrying that into them and thus those relationships become very distorted too. And so they're, they're being deprived of the chance or the chance of them experiencing real, holy, true, authentic, uh, chaste and holy friendship, it decreases because they, their expectations of what friends should, should do or how they should be to each other um, is not um, – is not pointed towards holiness the more and more that they circle back to look at those pornographic kind of thoughts and images and their minds are on the internet. And by the way, there is porn on YouTube. We just got to clear that up. It's, it's there, you know? Yeah. You can't just hand your toddler a smartphone and be like, Oh, they're just going to click on the little cartoon baby shark videos and it'll be fine. So I just, every time I see that in public or in the restaurant, it just makes me sick to my stomach because I know there are things that just pop up, like not even, and not even like pornographic things, like, like things that are very distorted and disturbing and, you know, like all of these things. It's just, ugh, it's it's There's (laughs) one one more thing about that. And this, this has to do with like, well, okay, what if, if I give my kid, the cell phone and I disable the internet and I just let them play some kind of game. We're still conditioning our kids to desire it. You're conditioning your kid to desire screen time. And anything that we do that fosters the desire for screen time is actually going to counteract the face to face time they otherwise could have. And that's what they need in order to develop healthily with others is the face time because then they can read people better. They're less awkward. They're less anxious there and with that as a result the person becomes less in, likely to hold in into themselves out of fear of of feeling fragile you know what i'm saying and 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 like what we how many i mean there's there's the anxiety rates of of our young people today is through the roof and of course there's the expectations of social media and all that stuff too um but where can if we if we point our children towards desiring that because we condition them with the use of cell phones as toy, um, then that's, that's on us. And that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. Definitely. And Hudson, you're a teacher. What, what age do you teach? Well, right now, actually I teach adults, but I have taught, I've taught grade four to 12. I even had to sub a kindergarten class one day. That was nuts. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you have experience working with kids a lot is what I'm saying. So. Oh yeah. 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 And plus, and, and just even like refereeing hockey and stuff for 15 or 16 years too. Like the, like a good Canadian. Oh, of course, of course. Yes. Ice hockey. Ice hockey. But yeah, the idea is that kids, when, when kids become like, you know, like addicted to something, they become different kids. Right. And the other, the other thing about, I mean, it shows up in, in their desire to do other things like the sport and stuff like that, or take risks uh, in, in like take positive. In, it shows up in the decreased, let's say a decreased probability, a decreased likelihood of taking positive relational risks, stepping out of that isolation and talking to people, trying to make friends. Things like that, and we have such a, such a like like an absence, like a there's such a there's an epidemic of of uh, no friendships is what I'm saying. You know, it, it, it's it's not just the kids; it's it's trickling up into the kids who've grown up to be adults. I saw a video on YouTube the other day of some lady, some some young girl. She's probably was late, 22 years old, maybe, and her she her video is called like I have no friends. And after a few months, it had like three million views and hundreds of thousands of comments. It's like so clearly there's anything that counters friendship. Why am I talking about this? Well, friendship is the antidote to porn, holy good friendship, because then you have real relationships, real people, you feel real impact. You feel really loved all these things. And and plus you're with others too, which kind of helps break the isolation, but all these things have been, um, have have been like obvious remedies to like the, 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 the inclination to fall into, uh, you know, a pornographic kind of uh, pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I've, I've never heard it explained like that, but that that's great being, 
you know, friendship being the antidote to porn and, you know, having that, that community where you know that you belong and you don't feel like such an outcast. And it's, it's like all over the stories in the media, it's always about the outcasts or the, the person who's on their own and they're kind of like the lone ranger and they're the hero of the story because everybody relates to that so much because of everything that's been going on in the culture. Yeah, totally. And friendship, by the way, it it also, once friendships are established, it actually does establish a natural sort of form of accountability, right? Because you need to be there for for people to depend on you. And if you're going on a porn bender and, uh, you know, because you've been conditioned to it, because you didn't, you, you, you didn't talk about it, you didn't have someone to tell you about it when you were younger to, to help you move away from fixating on it. The other thing with friendship is that um, this I've seen people uh, having true friendships has been a wake up call for them to, to rethink their whole idea of being gay is who I am. I had a guy tell me that after he's, he was in his sixties, he said that he, he realized that all he would, he thought he was gay his whole life. And he realized as a 60 something year old, that all he was looking for was a friend, but the world had told him, but the world had told him that he was gay, right? So, I mean, this, this is so far reaching this topic, right? And to me, it makes no, it's, it's no shock to me why uh, there's like an explosive and explosion in the amount of kids who are embracing LGBTQ identity and mindset um, and also an, ex- an explosive, uh, an anti-explosive decrease in true friendships. And there are young people, it's, it, it, we can't, I mean, they're in, they're soaking in this culture. And this is so many things that are so many moving parts, but they are, they need friendships. They need true, holy friendships. And if they don't have them, of course, they're going to go outwards where they can find a belonging in a certain way of seeing themselves or being, or, or they they need that community, but they're being deprived of it by so much of the, the isolation the, the, that, that is brought upon them by by things like the devices and and then of course the isolation brought brought upon them by entering into the isolation of shame because they've been looking at uh, things like like porn because they were exposed to it by some kid on the playground and didn't tell like and their parents had no idea right like th- what I hear from parents often is saying like I had no idea that that's that's a common thing I had no idea that this was going on well of course because your kid was hiding it from you like crazy. You know, and they lived a secret life and that was taxing on the child's soul, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because in this in this whole pandemic issue, there are so many parents that I've seen online wanting to cave in and giving them their child a cell phone because their child is left out because of the social media and all of these things. They say, Well, my I want my child to have friends, so I need to give them a cell phone and social media so that they can have those friends. But it's actually going to have the opposite effect. It will have the opposite effect eventually. Like they'll fit in, but they won't have friends, right? They'll yeah. fit in, in in a faceless crowd of peers, but they will not have friendships. And that's, I mean, how many people live in gigantic cities and feel alone, right? You can feel alone even in a classroom when you're by your friends. Um, and caving into that is not only are you, you know, oh, well, maybe my kid will have friends. You'll kiss your parental value set goodbye because yeah. there's going to, this is this is the thing that over and over and over again I have broken-hearted parents coming to me and saying, um, you know, uh, our kid doesn't come to church anymore, and and this is the big thing. It's like after we gave them a cell phone because that's what people did, uh, we lost her. She was gone. Wow. You know, and because there's how many billion people on cell phones waiting to impact the the mindset of that child, and yeah. yeah. And, and what child doesn't desire to fit in to, with their group of peers? And the bigger question that arises from this is, as parents, to what degree are we intentionally being the architects of our children's social lives? Yeah, because you can't control it. It's not just your child hangs out with whoever they want and you have to be okay with it because that's who they want to hang out with. You, you're the parent and you're able to control who they, who they hang out with, even if they, you know, whine and cry and but the the better thing would be to provide like find identify other intentionally minded catholic parents who want to raise their children in a very intentional way and make it fun and beautiful and the chosen way like i see this i see this happening where i am there's communities of families that are intentionally living they're not you know they're they they 
they're integrated into society to to a degree, but the kids actually have fun doing social things offline. I've never seen a cell phone out at any of these uh, gatherings or the families or anything like that. The kids play with each other. They know each other. They help each other. They develop skills together. They build each other up instead of tear each other down because they're not trying to hit some magical unicorn kind of status of, of yeah. uh, self-worth according to the online stuff, online world, you know? So, yeah. but these kids want it. There seems to be a threshold age where the kids, they want to continue with that. And they look at the, the kids in the world who are glued to their phones by age nine, because parents want to be their kid's friend mm-hmm. instead. And they, they said, we don't want that. And yeah. and I wouldn't blame them, right? Now, uh, what does this have to do with the porn exposure? <laughs> Everything, because the porn exposure makes brings people into themselves. And when you're into yourself, you, you, you escape into that phone because it's like a socially acceptable way of escaping, right? Yeah. If someone was going to jab a needle in their arm to escape, people would say, oh, there's something wrong with that. But everybody's jabbing a phone in front of their face and the world says that's just fine, but it's not. I want to switch gears a little bit. So talking about being exposed to pornography at a young age, and then um, you said that that kind of puts you on the trajectory for dealing with these homosexual tendencies and attractions and coming out of your loneliness. Let's say a parent has a 10 year old and they're saying, mom, I want to be a girl or mom, I think I'm gay. What is a parent supposed to do with that? How do they respond? Uh, In the moment, of course, a parent needs to uh, needs, it would be wise, I think, to listen and make sure that they don't do something to destroy the lines of communication or say like, no, that's a dumb idea. Like, whatever, just, just listen in the moment, right? Because if you say, first of all, if you, if a parent wants to freak out, well, that kid's never going to come back to you again. And there's a whole bunch of people who are just dying to get your kid on board with how they think. Okay. The second thing is um, if you, if a person was to just like in, invalidate it, like invalidate that they feel that way, we have to be honest. Okay. My kid thinks this. Okay. That's a real thing. The kid thinks this, of course he's probably had, or he or she or whatever, has probably had their mind influenced by outside sources of people trying to convince them, oh, you know, you like to, uh, you're into the arts. Well, maybe, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? If, 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 you're, if you're outside of this little box of what's hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine, then it means you must be gay or lesbian, that whole thing. or And then the whole trans thing, if, uh, if, that's what I mean. Like if you're, you know, if you don't think that you measure up to this standard of, whatever, then you, if, of man, then you must be a girl. And I've heard, I've heard trans activists say this, they argue this on, and they give this idea to children on their YouTube videos and stuff like that. So, so a, a parent's got to know that there's a whole tidal wave of people in the movement that are, are influencing your kid to say that. And by the time that your kid has actually told you, you, you better believe that it's been thought about probably for a while. You know, so if you just just say like, oh, that's a, that's a stupid thought, like, you know, and move on with life. That kid is just learning that instance that they that you're not willing to listen, like th- those doors of communication become eroded, you know, um, listening, but listening, but proper guidance. Now, I think one thing that might be helpful is within the context of healthy relationship, of course, is to help the child, help a child know that there are. Uh, truly, I think that children should know that there are people who are trying to get them to think certain things. And they might, you know, someone might say, well, that's what religions do too. And I say, well, yeah, but religions invite people to ask questions, right? But I mean, it would take, it would take a, an older rational kid to understand that, right? But a younger, younger child, you know, um, just walk with them into, into bigger ideas. Oh, what does that mean? How did, where did you hear that? How do you know that? Are you sure that this doesn't make and just continue what what it is, a continue a conversation so that you're always just gently taking one step further, right? Because you can't lecture someone out of a mindset, you know? Okay, you should watch this, um, you should watch this, or read this book and watch this video, and suddenly you'll be fixed. Like that's I think everybody knows by now that that's just not how it works. But if in that relationship, um, you know. If that's your kid, then you're, you're the one in charge with that. And just walk with them one step further, expose them to new, better ideas that uh, that blow the lid off of the small boxes that are pushed onto the children in this way. Um, I've never met a, uh, a, a, in all the talks that I've done in schools or not, not even school, youth groups and everything. No kid has ever said they desire to be identified according to like a small box. 
And we, that's what we do in our Catholic faith. We look, we, we acknowledge uh, how someone feels, um, but we also look to the bigger lens to see how God um, is our primary source of identity and purpose. Going back to that, putting like the ultra masculine or the ultra feminine, I don't want to say stereotypes, but the, the, I guess, requirements for being a man or requirements for being a woman. I think you can really talk about that with your kids saying, okay, you know, what does it mean to be a real man? And what does it mean to be a real woman? Because it's not, it's not what society says or doesn't say before people are saying, okay, if you're going to be a man, you have to be the quarterback on the football team and you have to, you know, go hunting and fishing and all of these things. Um, and that's what makes you a man. But now we're seeing kind of a overcorrection of that saying masculinity means nothing and femininity means nothing. And, but also it's kind of saying if you don't fall into that category, you can change it if you want. And it's just, it's just so messed up and cloudy and giving that your child that clarity of this is masculinity, this is femininity. I think it can really make their lives a lot easier um, in general. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Just broaden the scope of, of what that could look like. Like, for example, I sing in a choir. Well, if the kid only sees choirs to be girl things, then, yeah. you know, or if the kid likes singing and he only sees girls, well, maybe I'm supposed to do girl things. We expand the things and, and detach them from, like, ideas of, of, of roles and interests. We, we yeah. reintegrate them to... To, to, the, to, to be connected to how God authored us into being. And by the way, God does not author our particular inclinations or appetites or desires. He yeah. authors us with inclinations and appetites. But how we, in order, like the, whole, the wholeness of our life experience influences what we're into, you yeah. know, it, 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 and how that unfolds. And I mean, it's not like there's like a little chunk of our brain that is shut down so that like, the life experiences doesn't impact how it's going to be influenced, you know? Yeah, definitely. And actually that you mentioned choir, but that's something that attracted to me, to my husband initially is we met in choir and it was church choir. And I love that we could share that, that common thing. And it wasn't an all female choir. It wasn't all male choir and um, you know, getting to know him and he had done theater also singing in choir and did played on the football team in high school. So it's just like seeing him be able to have that variety of interests and not putting himself in that box of, Oh, I'm a man. So I have to only play football and only do these things. Um, It's very attractive to see somebody who's not afraid to be themselves and just do what they enjoy. That's beautiful. And I think I love what you just said there. It's attractive when someone's not afraid. Yeah, I think yeah. I think right now so many people are controlled by fear. They're like, oh, what if I don't fit in the box? Or do I measure up? I'm afraid that I don't measure up to some mm-hmm. like yeah, some crazy standard that was pushed onto me that is not representative of not representative of of what a man or woman can be. You know, there's yeah. so much range in in who who God, and God created us with different gifts and talents and interests, so we could you know, we could give back to him in many beautiful ways. Now, um, you mentioned in your testimony, and I did research on you before doing this. this, (laughs) (laughs) If I make some obscure references, that's why. Um, So you mentioned in your um, testimony that you were at a training and a gay activist said environment plays a factor in the development of our attractions. Mm-hmm. So can you go into a little bit about what that means and then what does, does that mean for parents? Sure. Uh, okay. So yeah, this was, this was wild. I was there at this seminar at a conference and this guy taught, said he, he gave this whole talk to a bunch of instructors. And then I, afterwards I asked him in the hall, I said, uh, you know, in there, it seemed like everything you, you, you pointed to was that kids are just, you know, born this way and God created them this way. I, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, his response, like verbatim, you know, environment plays a factor in the development of our attractions. Environment plays a factor in the development of our attractions. I just remember in that moment, just like kind of like tipping my head to the side of my jaw drop a little bit. I'm like, how, how can you, how could you have said all that stuff in the room there that 
totally didn't indicate that, you know. Um, anyway, so that's what he said. And I just began to think about that a little more because I, like, what does that mean? What does, what is environment? You know, it's the environment that I'm soaking in my cultural environment, my family environment, my work environment. Okay. My relational environment, let's call that relational environment, but there's also the environment between our ears. That would be the neurological environment, right? And we do know that our brain works in ways uh, based on our behaviors, but without our specific choice, right? Like we know that like the, like the oxytocin neurochemical is released uh, in like in in the context of like intimacy right but it's not like you go and tell your brain okay release that oxytocin you know what i'm saying so our brains do things right and so i'm like well all sorts of uh situations i put myself into on account of my choices also do impact the way my brain's gonna form so i was and 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 be conditioned right and so i began to think about what does that mean and so you look at things like the effect of pornography on the brain okay so there was a testimony to the United States Senate, I think in 2010, where these neurosurgeons or sorry, neurosurgeons, brain scientists said that it takes point, point 0.3 or point 0.4 seconds for a, um, a pornographic, a, a pornographic image to become etched into like a person's mind to the point where there is measurable and visible, uh, like with magnifying, you know, device, uh, new cells, new cluster of cells in the brain. Right. So it literally changes the brain. Now, there's tons of science about that right now. So there's that. But there's also there's also the impact on on desires and particular appetites. It's like the more you foster a desire or the more you starve a desire, the more it will continue to to go in that direction. I'm talking about desires of the flesh. Right. Like the more I feed the more I feed a particular desire for whatever, it's going to get stronger. And so when I'm thinking about it, when I'm fantasizing about it, when I'm, um, you know, and, and, and living it out and, and actually uh, um, if it's connected with the rush of the orgasm, so the acceleration plus the orgasm, it just gets locked in there more and more. When you study a math question, right, you're, you're creating neurological connector pathways, right? And you do it over and over and over again. Suddenly what used to be difficult is very easy. Well, so too is it with the idea of like reentering a pattern of thought having to do with sexual whatever, right? You've created, we've created those neurological highways. And I mean, our brain's efficient. Those will be rerouted if we don't travel those highways anymore. Just like how we forget math if we don't use it. Right. Yeah. We can, we can, it can be better yet. It's, it's, if it's overwritten with good things like true friendship, you know, true healthy relationship, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that the same goes for virtues too, is that I think one of the saints said that um, it's not virtuous to, it's not as virtuous to make a one-time decision to do something good, but the virtuous thing is actually having a good habit. And doing it without thinking. And that's that's the best, the most virtuous thing because you've already ingrained that into your life and made it a lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the point. Is like it, it's and and for example, pursuing a heart of chastity, right? It wasn't like I just said when I was twenty seven, all right, that's it. Uh, I'm gonna do this. No, it was like I began to pursue it without even knowing what it was because I saw the beauty of it being radiated from other people. And then as I grew in my understanding of what it was, I began to intentionally choose it as with an understanding of what it was like in terms of the language of the church. And, but, but it wasn't like that choice was made and it was done. Like mm -hmm. there's, it's, it's an every day. It's a choice. Sometimes every hour it's a choice yeah. right? because I mean, I, I mean, I, since nine years old, I mean, I had like, like severe, like pornography addiction, I guess, going right from the beginning. So um, those, those neurological pathways in my head have been wired pretty, they've been laid down pretty strong. So yeah. it's a it's a battle to not fall to the inclinations of your prior ways, right? Anyone yeah. who's walked away from an addiction or who's who's striving for that will know that, you know. Definitely, and it it doesn't even get fixed with marriage, you know. Like it's it's <laughs> the chastity fight does not end with marriage, and you still have to keep all of your desires rightly ordered and be vigilant about that. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a constant. Uh, it's a constant choice you have to make every single day of, and every moment of every day. Um, yeah. It's an intentional thing that you need to build habits. 
Yeah, and you know what? If if people could see chastity as a gift, like the, the it's a virtue, of course, but like to pursue chastity is to give a gift to God, right? And like when when we give a gift that is meaningless, it doesn't really feel good, right? I mean, it's no big yeah. deal, right? But if you give a gift that means something, then you you feel joy in that. But our sexuality is so meaningful. We should we should experience great joy if we truly give our sexuality to the Lord. And I didn't. I didn't, I couldn't have known that joy until I took the leap of faith to do it, you know? So I, I strived for that, strove for that and I did it. And then that's when I realized it was like, almost like a surrender. I surrendered to the Lord, these, the, um, the, the passions of the flesh that I had controlled me for so many years and uh, because, and which had not brought me uh, joy. I mean, they would bring happiness in the moment, but then you crash and you're like, I'm empty inside. This doesn't, this is not, this is not good. But, uh, if we could, if we could reroute so people could see chastity and talk about it as something beautiful, you know, then, yeah. I mean, if, if it's not beautiful, what kid is going to want to pursue it, right? Even with, when you talk about giving your sexuality to the Lord, that doesn't mean, that doesn't, chastity doesn't mean celibacy, but also it's not the other way around. Like it's, it's putting sexuality in the proper context. And for teaching our kids how to do that, it starts with, your your example. So even if you're a single parent or a married parent or anything like that, you know, you can you can have an impact on your child's perception of what adult relationships are supposed to look like. Whether it be friendships or relation romantic relationships. Absolutely. And and one of the one of the things I'm learning about one of the markers of chastity is an absence of resentment. And so I can't remember, again, I can't remember who said it. chastity is the enemy of resentment, but like, it's like where there is resentment, there's something impairing the virtue of chastity and where resentment is like pushed away, like, uh, you know, like, like wax from a flame um, that there is chastity. Right. And so to model the, the gift of sexuality being given to the Lord, we need to all check ourselves and look in the mirror, including myself and say, am I living resentfully in any way? And yeah. if I am, I need to forgive and let God come through this and uh, and help me no longer see my partner as um, with that thing that's hanging over my head, that, that attachment of my own, according to mm. my own pride, that's making me love her less than I should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? um, what do you think about this toxic masculinity culture? So I have a little boy. And from the day that I found out that he was a boy when we were in the room and the ultrasound came up and they're like, yeah, it's a boy. I had this like reaction. My husband can attest to this. It was like, I was kind of ready for a girl because I know how girls operate. Um, But finding out that I had a son made me realize how, how almost violent this culture is towards men and masculinity. Um, so what do you think, how, how do you respond? How do you respond to that specifically? And how should <laughs> parents respond to that? Well, I, th- I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Our culture is, does not foster, um, how do I say this? It's like a, co- a culture does not celebrate what, what men can bring if they were truly allowed to flourish in being men. And I don't mean like being, uh, being, a, being a guy who just kind of like fits inside of the, the, the post feminist case of what a man should be. Right. Uh, basically neutered. You know what I mean? It's like, no, guys are a certain way. And if they're not a certain way, we want to find out, you know, what happened. Okay. Like, I mean, like, why, why are you, uh, like, why are you missing that fire in your soul to like, protect and to provide and to like do what you can do to be the best version of yourself for the Lord. Right. Okay. I got to look in myself in the mirror for that one too. Right. But when it's talking about like with the whole kids and stuff like that, I think coming back to the, the intentional parenting kind of thing, it's like, so there's a culture out there and then there's true Catholic culture. And if, if your culture, if your home culture looks like the world culture, then maybe time to reevaluate some things, right? How are you, how are you intentionally raising your child? Are you giving them um, uh, ways to, to come to flourish? And, and like, this is one thing, like, so how many different ways can men flourish within the context of the church? Yeah, they can be great soccer and hockey players and stuff like that. But what about in the church? Have we flushed, have we gotten rid of the, 
the male Gregorian chant Scola? Have we gotten rid of the uh, altar servers guild of boys and men? Because an altar servers guild should have intergenerational things so that there's mentorship, things like that, right? So things, so a place, boys need a place. And right now boys don't have a place in society. So at the very least we could, we could try to restore places in our churches that were for boys, you know? Um, And other than that, I think just, we would just have to work very hard against the culture. Yes. To uh, provide environments where they can flourish with other like-minded families. And you know what? Every culture burns to the ground eventually, but the Catholic 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 church continues. So don't worry about trying to fit into that culture out there. It's, it's going to go, who cares? Right. (laughs) We're, we're, we're prepared for something that's everlasting. Yeah. And if we, if we have that, if we, if we keep that in mind, it'll shape everything that we do. You know, not just how we raise boys and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that um, boys, they just need, they need to be understood as, I don't know. I I don't want to say like another species, but (laughs) (laughs) it feels like another species to this culture. Like it, it feels like boys are, you know, meant to, meant to do so many things that are, just according to their nature as boys, like boys have a specific nature and girls have a specific nature. And I think that forcing boys to try to fit into the girl's nature of, you know, here, sit in a desk for eight hours and behave and, you know, don't, don't do anything physical or anything like that. And, you know, you see schools taking away recess and all of these things like, a little boy is not going to sit still for eight hours. I mean, even little girls won't want to sit for sit still. Right, right. Boys, boys and girls. We, we can nurture. Yeah. We, we, we would do well to do what we can to nurture their development in the ways that they develop well. Like if they have an affinity to activity and doing things and, and constructing and building things outside themselves, like, like working on projects, then don't, don't take away those opportunities because you want to be like, you know, the world wants to be like all like gender neutral or something. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is like, we've stifled the potential for that boy to become like a prodigious airline mechanic, you know, Mm -hmm. by age 16, because we took away toys like that because we wanted to be fair. But what we've done is we've actually clipped the wings of what that boy could have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Check this out. I, speaking of that, and it, it, it involves our adjusting our, our collective expectations of how we ought to do things, too. I saw a post on uh, some kind of Catholic youth minister group, or maybe it wasn't even a Catholic youth ministry, some kind of group. And it was like, it was like, so we had this great thing set up with our tables and we had our questions and we were going to have a chat and, you know, and none of the boys in grade eight went for it. You know, it like, <laughs> hit with the girls, but none of the boys. And it's like, Maybe that's because the boys do not. Well, first of all, boys do not. They're not. They don't gravitate towards things that they don't feel that they're competent in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're around a bunch of girls who are wizards at talking, you know what I mean. They know how to communicate really well. A grade eight boy probably is not the best communicator. So when he's matched with the girls, it's probably going to be a little more quieter, and they're going to disengage, and you're going to want to do something else. It's yeah. like there could be other things that you could do to 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 get the get the boys together, like. Like and this, uh, and this is going to be real stereotypical. But like, take them, take them out to the range to do shooting. You know, take them yeah. out to like a hunting excursion where there's a project outside themselves. They don't. Boys don't look at each other at the eye in the eye at a table and talk about each other's feelings. Like this is how I feel. That's not how they yeah. operate. If that's how you're going to operate, that you know what I mean. It's like that's of course. And but we expect boys to do that. Mm-hmm. just as good as girls. Yes, boys can talk about feelings and stuff. That's true. But we expect it to be like equal par with, with the girls in it. That's just not how yeah. it works. Boys and girls are not the same. As yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely know. Um, <laughs> two brothers and two yeah. sisters. And just yeah. seeing the difference is hilarious. And um, even when my sisters like call me on the phone and um, my sister will be like talking, needing to talk about something and we'll be on the phone for like an hour and Andrew's like, you talked for your for so long on the phone because he only has a brother. And so they're all on the phone for like two minutes and they're like, OK, bye. And then <laughs> I was like, no, this is how girls work. We are communicators. We it, we analyze things from all angles and the social situation and like the dynamics and everything. And it's just it's just so different from what he was used to. And it, it just like 
it just cued me into the difference was between having a sister and having a brother, even that just that little difference, how long you're going to be on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So many yeah. differences. Yeah. So I want to, I want to pivot a little bit on homosexuality. Can you offer a little perspective for parents as to how they should teach their children how to deal with people they might encounter who struggle with this? So if a kid has a friend at school who is, you know, saying I'm gay and going around trying to date boys, how do they engage with that peer? Sure. Um, okay. So I'm going to lift this back up to the conversation of friendship real quick, yeah. because one of the signs of one of the signs of unhealthy relationships, from what I understand, is is when there is uh, what do you call it? There's someone's pursuing validation, like an obvious pursuit of validation, and people feed into that. Now that mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't make for a healthy development in any context. Okay. So if if a person um, is is noticing that um, I think the best thing to do would be to strive to be an up, upstanding example of Christ's love. So that person can know that God loves them yeah. and, and hopefully they'll, they'll understand that they're respected by that person. And that person will also know that they will be respected when they stand up for something instead of nothing. Right. So yeah. there's no, you know, you don't want to, I mean, you don't might not necessarily want to push, you don't want to push buttons and stuff like that. But sometimes when push comes to shove and there needs to be sort of a clarification on, well, what do you believe anyway about this? Well, this is who I am. So it's like, well, you know, um, you're still my friend, you know, but uh, I, I see you as a, you know, a beloved brother, you know, and, uh, but I mean, what, what kind of uh, child is going to have that kind of language right on the spot, right? They're going to, I've heard things like, look, look, can you throw the football? Great. Who cares? Let's go play end of conversation for the guys, yeah. you know, but, but it's different because girls are different than guys. It's, it's a mm-hmm. whole different realm for girls. And I've never been a girl before for real. So yeah. I, I can't even really, you know, explain what, what would, what would that, what would that look like? Uh, the, the bigger principle is though, you want to make sure to do what you can to, to hopefully let them know that you still love them and you still see them as a friend. Right. Yeah. But yeah. that you will, when, when push comes to shove, you, you know, you'll stand up, you'll have the courage to stand up for, something instead of just caving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from what I've seen working with kids and probably 90% of them are feeling like they have to support these things like gay marriage and love is love and all these things. And they have these little hashtags on their Instagrams because they know a friend who ascribes to that identity and they feel like, well, I'm their friend. I have to support them. You know, that's what a good friend does. And, um, that's the reason why we have these, these kids who are so passionate about, you know, you can't discriminate based on some, what, who somebody loves and like that type of stuff. And we're seeing this, especially with my generation and everything. So how do, how do parents break through that? You know what? It's bigger than just the church of teaching. It's just, it's it's bigger than like knowing the catechism is what I mean. Right. The short story and it's unfortunate story, as far as I can tell, is that if your kid, if there's a kid who's already on board with like, well, you know, he's my friend, so I can't be Catholic anymore because my friend is gay, and that I've heard that so many times. It's like, then they've already been lost to the culture. They're mm-hmm. your your years too late, and that's mm-hmm. a hard a hard truth most of the time, and it's yeah. a very unfortunate thing. But but that's the case. It's like so so the question is, how do you prevent that from happening? And the the one well, there's many things, but I mean, of course, God could prevent all of this stuff if he wanted, but he, he lets us cooperate, of course. But the yeah. idea is from the very beginning, do everything you can do to raise your children through uh, their, get their understanding of the faith to be through the lens of pursuing virtue instead of the lens of behaving correctly. Hmm. And the reason for that is then they, they become steeped in the language of virtue. They understand it is about the state of the heart, trying to serve the Lord in the way that is befitting of how God has authored this universe. They'll understand chastity and it won't be a mystery. They'll understand why same-sex attractions, uh, so same-sex re- sexual and romantic relations are counter to chastity, mm-hmm. right? They'll understand that trans- transgender uh, pursuits are a counter to chastity because they are a rejection of uh, successful integration of our sexuality because they counter what God has authored into creation. And I mean like the, the same sex attractions by the, like the transgender one is obvious. Like obviously I was not a girl, so I was rejecting that God authored me a man, but part of mm-hmm. being authored a man is that my compliment, my physiological compliment is a female. 
So if I assume that my person, my, my match should be a person of the same sex, I'm rejecting that God created me to be physiologically complementary with a female. So I'm rejecting successful integration. I'm countering successful integration of my sexuality. Okay. Now, if a kid is not raised with any clue about virtue, there's no way that they'll get to that realization. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so what do we do as parents to, uh, to foster the language of virtue and to, Depart from being first and foremost fixated on behavior. Do this right. Do that right. Um, this is what Catholics do. Well, actually, what Catholics do is try to give their hearts to the Lord as best they can. And what that looks like, it can be described in in terms of 64 different virtues. And here are some of them. And here's what chastity means. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And you strive for that. You know, because then then it's not foreign to them and they don't get blindsided when their kid, when their buddy comes out or that some kid in class comes out as gay and they don't have a clue how to deal with the question because they don't know the language of the church. They don't know the concepts of the church. And but they think they know the language of the church because the world is saying celibacy. The church is saying that person should be celibate. Well, that's not fair because everyone should be able to love whoever they want. And you don't have there's going to be like little to no hope that a person will ever exit that mindset unless it is some radical transformation, like the transformation of heart, which I mean, can result of our prayers and all that stuff. But, but that's, we're literally praying for a miracle uh, mm-hmm. that someone's heart will be transformed by God. Yeah. Cause in the end, everybody has free will and what they believe is based on what they've experienced. And a lot of these kids, they're very well-intentioned, you know, they just want to do what's the most loving thing. And this is what the culture is telling them to do. And when you as a parent, haven't taught them it's just like you said it's it's years too late and you have to teach them the meaning of love and the meaning of virtue and the meaning of chastity in in a way that they can't imagine any other form of love or any other definition of love yeah and they have to see the joy of that radiated the joy of that radiated and and the peace this is big because people say well they're happy i'm happy i'm joyful it's like what are you and the real question is where's the peace if there's no peace, you know, the peace will, the peace will say a lot. Cause when people, even when people get battered up through the world end up like, you know, but it's like the peace. I just want to, to put my restless heart to, down to rest for a while, you know, find the peace. Well, we're at, we're at 54 minutes. So without even thinking about it. So that's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. You get, you, you let me just rant away like so many times. I'm no, so- that's great. <laughs> I, the reason I asked you to come on to the podcast was to hear your rants and to hear your perspective. So that's awesome. So. God be praised. God be praised. Please. Please. That's Bye. great. All right. Um, Hudson, where can people find you and uh, get, get their hands on some of the resources that you've, you've put out into the world? Sure. Okay. Well, I've got a website, hudsonbiblo.com. Um, maybe you could link up to that. And then anything, any resources out there that has to do with promoting the virtue of chastity uh, and, and theology of the body, I would say go there, right? And there's so much to explore. Uh, um, like, you know, I would just start with that. Like Jason Everett, Chastity Project, you know, your, your Matt Frad, Christopher West, uh, Courage International for the, for the topics of same-sex attractions and transgender everything. Um, and that, and like, just, you could start there and there would be probably lifetimes worth of stuff to go through. And I hope and pray that it would uh, enlighten anyone who reads it and ultimately help them see the beauty and joy in pursuing those virtues. Yeah. Yeah. Do your research. It's, it's important to not only form our children, but also form ourselves to make sure we. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and one more too, one more too, the catechism. It's so good to just have those things understood in our back pocket, um, just go there and, and, and defer anything that I've said. It really needs to be a subject to the catechism and the wisdom of the Catholic Church. So that's the most important. Thank you guys again so much for listening to this episode of Catholic Parenting 101. Like always, you can find me on Instagram at Catholic Parenting 101. Submit your questions and your topic suggestions, and I can't wait to hear from you.